following sermon, entitled Christ, Our Only High Priest, was preached on the morning of October 30th, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Leviticus, chapters 8 and 9. We will not read the whole of both chapters, but read select verses from the two. Perhaps sometime today, though, it would be worth sitting down with your own Bible and reading both chapters as they are one unit, the ordination of Aaron and the first sacrifices he makes. Let's begin, though, at chapter 8, verse 1, and read through verse 13 there. Leviticus 8, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did, as the Lord commanded him. And the assembly was gathered together under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him and also he put in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. And he put the mitre upon his head, also upon the mitre, even upon his forefront did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all his vessels both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. So Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with girdles and put bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded Moses. Now we are going to skip to verse 22. In between there is a sin offering and a burnt offering and now a third offering prescribed in verse 22 through 24. And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put the blood upon the tip of their right ear and upon the thumbs of their right hands and upon the great toe of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. One more verse worth noting in Leviticus 8 is verse 30. 
So after a wave offering is performed, we read in verse 30, And Moses took of the anointing oil and of the blood which is upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons and upon his sons' garments with him and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And then there was seven days of consecration after which we read of Aaron's first offerings beginning as a high priest. That begins in chapter 9. We're going to start reading at verse 15. The first part concerns the offerings Aaron makes for himself. And now he functions as a high priest on behalf of the people. Leviticus 9, verse 15. And he brought the people's offering and took the goat which was the sin offering for the people and slew it and offered it for sin as the first. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the manner. And he brought the meat offering and took an handful thereof and burnt it upon the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. He slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented unto him the blood which he sprinkled upon the altar round about. And the fat of the bullock and of the ram, the rump, and that which covereth the inwards and the kidneys and the caul above the liver. And they put the fat upon the breasts and he burnt the fat upon the altar. And the breasts and the right shoulder Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Thus far we read God's Word. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is He called Christ that is anointed? Because He is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and to be our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of His body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal King who governs us by His Word and Spirit, who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation He has purchased for us. But why art thou called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of His anointing, that so I may confess His name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to Him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life and afterwards reign with Him eternally over all creatures. Anyone who has read the Old Testament knows that there are three types of leaders 
who loom especially large on the pages of the Old Testament, namely, prophets, priests, and kings. For who is not familiar with the writing prophets, men like Isaiah and Jeremiah? Who does not remember something of the miracle-working prophets such as Elijah and Elisha? And even the youngest children here are familiar with that runaway prophet named Jonah. In the Old Testament, we see prophets. In the Old Testament, we also see priests. Priests like Aaron and his son. Priests like Eli and then godly Samuel after him. And though beyond those men, the the names of the other priests in the Old Testament are rather difficult to remember, we know that they are there and that we see them throughout the Old Testament. And what is more, we see kings. Men like Saul, David, and Solomon. And then after Solomon, the long list of the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. And it's in light of that that I say again, anyone who has read the Old Testament knows that it has a lot to say about prophets, priests, and kings. And the question for us becomes, why? What is the reason for this emphasis on these three leaders that we see again and again? These office bearers, many of whom were anointed into their respective offices. That is, when we read the Old Testament, we see prophets, priests, and kings being anointed. That is, they had oil poured upon them as a symbol of being given their office. And the question is, why all this emphasis on these men? And the answer is that these men serve as types of Jesus Christ. And now when we speak of a type of Jesus Christ, we're talking about some shadowy revelation of Jesus Christ in the form of a real person, thing, or event in the Old Testament. That is, a type is some figure in the Old Testament that foreshadows, that points ahead to our Savior Jesus Christ. And that He is the fulfillment of their offices, that they are meant to point us ahead to Him, is evident from that name, Christ. That's the name that Lord's Day 12 focuses on. It asks the question, why is He called Christ? And then it adds in that question, that is anointed. Because that's the the meaning, the literal idea of that name Christ. Christ means the anointed one. And the fact that these prophets, priests, and kings were anointed, they had oil poured on their heads as a symbol of being appointed and equipped for their office. And now Jesus Christ is called the anointed one. The Christ is indicating He's the fulfillment of those. And that's what Answer 31 teaches us. Christ is our prophet, our priest, and our King. Now when we say that He's the fulfillment of those offices, we must not misunderstand that. The idea is not that 
because there were in the Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings, Jesus Christ had to become prophet, priest, and king. It's not that He derives His office from theirs, but rather the idea is from all eternity, God had appointed Jesus Christ as the anointed one to be a prophet, a priest, and king. And then gave these Old Testament offices as types, as revelations that would teach the people about the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. To use an illustration, we can use the illustration of a of light passing through a prism. Children, perhaps you're familiar with this. If not, your teachers can teach you about it this week. If you take light and pass it through what's called a prism, you can see that light divided, as it were, into different colors. You can see all the colors of the spectrum. Well, that's an analogy that's helpful for us for when you take the one light, Jesus Christ, and pass that light through the prism of the Old Testament, what you see are different colors. The different aspects of His person and work. And that's true generally about Christ and specifically about His office. His one office is that of mediator. And when you pass that through the prism of the Old Testament, you see three different colors. Three different aspects of His office that He is prophet, priest, and king. And now Lord's Day 12 is like a second prism that takes those three colors, those three different aspects, and reminds us they all point us to that one light, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the Anointed One. He is prophet, priest, and king. And while all three of those Old Testament offices find their fulfillment in the one light, Jesus Christ, nevertheless, there is value in looking at each of those three colors, each of those three Old Testament offices. And it's for that reason that as we come to Lord's Day 12, we are going to settle down on this Lord's Day for a while and have a mini-series on Lord's Day 12. We will spend at least four sermons explaining this Lord's Day so that we have time to look at each of the three offices closely and how Christ is the fulfillment of each one. And this morning we begin that by looking at that Old Testament colorful type Aaron, the high priest, to learn about our Savior Jesus Christ. And now in looking and starting with priest, perhaps you recognize we're not following the order of the catechism. The order of the catechism is prophet, priest, and then king. And the catechism has good reason for taking them in that order, something we hope to explain later on, but for the sake of this mini-series, we're going to take these offices in the order that they appear in the Old Testament. That is, in the order that we read about a man being anointed into each of the three offices. So we will go priest, king, and then prophet. So with that longer than normal introduction in mind, Let's consider this morning Christ, our only High Priest. Christ, our only High Priest. First, we're going to look at His anointing. 
and then second, at His work. And in each of the two points, we'll look at Aaron and then how Christ is the fulfillment of that. First, His anointing and His work. While there are objects anointed before Him, Aaron is the first person anointed on the pages of Scripture. And we read of His anointing and His ordination into the office of high priest when we read Leviticus chapter 8. We read about how He was anointed. That was Leviticus 8 verse 12. There we read, and He, Moses, poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. So after Aaron had gotten himself washed up, after he had put on his high priestly garments, Moses came with oil and he poured that oil on Aaron's head. And that oil was allowed to run down Aaron's head to the rest of his body. And notice that word, poured. This was not a little amount of oil. It wasn't merely sprinkled upon him. It was poured. There was an abundance of oil here. After being anointed, there were three sacrifices, three offerings that were made on behalf of Aaron and his sons. First, a sin offering. Then a burnt offering. And then a third offering that's unique. This third offering is called the Ram of Consecration. We read of that in verse 22, and he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram. And now what makes this sacrifice unique is what happens to the blood. Often we see the blood of an animal being collected and then applied to the altar or to the mercy seat. What happens here is unique in that that blood is applied to Aaron and to his sons. That's verse 24. And he brought Aaron's sons, let's start at verse 23, and he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. So children, picture Moses taking blood from a bull and taking that blood and applying it to Aaron's right ear and then applying it to his right thumb and then to the big toe on his right foot. And by having his ear, his thumb, and his toe anointed, the whole of Aaron's being, the whole person is in view here. And the idea is he's being consecrated. It's the ram of consecration. That is, he's being set apart, separated unto God. He's being devoted unto God. And the the whole of his person is being set apart towards Jehovah God. Sanctified is the language we find here. There are other details. We don't have time to go through all the details, but there's one more detail of this ordination ceremony worth pointing out. Namely that Aaron is then anointed a second time later on. And that's verse 30. And Moses took of the anointing oil and of the blood which was upon the altar and sprinkled it upon Aaron and upon his garment. So, first he had oil poured upon him. Then he had blood applied directly to him. And then the third step is that the oil and the blood are now mixed together. And that mixture is sprinkled upon Aaron and upon all of his garments. 
so that he's receiving a, a double measure, a, a double portion of this anointing oil and what it symbolizes. But what then is the, the symbolism here? What's the meaning, the significance of these elements of the ceremony here? Well, the main thing is the anointing. And that anointing, based on Scripture, has a twofold significance. It indicates the appointing of a man to office as well as the equipping of that man for his office and for his work. It, it includes the appointing of a man. That comes out in that verse 12 that we read from Leviticus 8. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Sanctify him for what? For the office of high priest. And that's made explicit, for example, in Exodus 29. Exodus 29 is where God prescribes how the high priest is to be ordained. Leviticus 8 is them actually carrying it out. But Leviticus, Exodus 29, verse 1 says this, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them to minister unto me in the priest's office. And then what follows is everything that we read in Leviticus chapter 8. But notice that language of to hallow them, to set them apart, to minister unto me in the priest's office. So that the idea of anointing is a man's being appointed. He's being set apart to serve in a particular office. It's proof. His anointing is proof to himself and to all the people that he's been authorized, he's been given the right to function in that office, to carry out the labors of it. So on the one hand, anointing appoints to the appointing of a man. And on the other hand, it shows us the equipping of the man. That is, it's a promise of the bestowal of the gifts, the abilities necessary to carry out the work, to fulfill the functions of that office so that the other part of it is the, the qualifying of the man for his office. It's for that reason that oil is used. Because the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And He is the one who does this twofold work. It's not the oil itself that appoints a man and equips him, but it's the Spirit who sets a man apart and who qualifies a man for the work by giving him the gifts that he needs. And oil was an appropriate picture of that because in the dry and dusty climate in which the Israelites lived, oil was used to strengthen, to reinvigorate the, the dry, the feeble members of the body. Oil made your hands or whatever, whatever it may be that was dry fit for use. Well, So it is with the Spirit. When the Spirit comes upon a man, He, he enlivens. He, he strengthens that man. He takes one who is not fit for use and so works in him that he is fit for use in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So there's the oil and the anointing, but there's also the blood. And that blood is necessary because, for Aaron because he himself was a sinner. And thus there had to be a 
sin offering on His behalf that pointed to the payment of His sins. There had to be a a burnt offering pointing to the imputation of a, a spotless perfection to His account. And then there was that ram of consecration showing that Aaron, the whole of his being, the whole of his person was being devoted, consecrated, set apart unto God. And that part is so important because as we'll see in the second point, the high priest's work is to take the people and to consecrate them, to devote them unto God. And how can a man do that if he himself is not first consecrated to God? So Aaron is the first person in all of Scripture who is anointed into an Old Testament office. In this though, He is but a type. A shadowy revelation pointing us to the Anointed One, Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the Anointed One is clear from the name Christ, but it's also the express teaching of Scripture. For example, in Psalm 45, verse 7, we read, Psalm 45, verse 7 says prophetically about Christ, Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And we know that verse is prophetic of Jesus Christ because Hebrews 1, verse 9 explicitly applies that verse to Jesus Christ. Another example of this would be Isaiah 61, verse 1. A similar prophecy which rather than speaking of the oil, The picture speaks of the reality, the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And again, we we know that verse is prophetic of Jesus Christ because Christ Himself quotes that verse and says, this verse is fulfilled this day in Me. So Jesus Christ is the Anointed One. But now perhaps you're wondering, well, if that's the case, why then do we not read of some ceremony in which He's anointed with oil in the same way as these Old Testament men? Because it's true. You can search the New Testament high and low and you will not find a passage in any of the Gospel accounts in which Jesus Christ is ordained into His office as mediator through oil being poured upon His head. Why not? Because with Christ, He's given the reality directly. And that happened at His baptism when immediately after His baptism, there was that voice from heaven saying, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then children, you know what happens next. That dove, the Spirit of God, descends upon Him in the form of a dove. So that for Jesus, because He's not just the type, not just the shadow, not just the picture, but the Anointed One, rather than being given the picture oil, He's given the reality directly. He's given the Spirit of God directly. And He's given the Spirit without measure. That's the teaching, for example, of John 3, verse 34, For whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth 
not the Spirit by measure unto Him. It's saying when God gave the Spirit, there wasn't any sort of measure. There was no sort of limit. There was no holding back of the Spirit. And in this we see the fulfillment of those little details we saw in Leviticus 8. The, the oil is not initially sprinkled upon Aaron, but it's, it's poured upon him. There's an abundance given to him. And then it's reapplied the second time showing there's a, a double measure being given here. And that points us to the reality of Jesus Christ who was given the Spirit without measure. Not just a, a double measure. Not just a double portion. But an infinite measure of the Spirit. So Jesus Christ was indeed anointed. And thus, as the anointed One, He too is both appointed to His office as well as equipped for His office. The same two things that we said are the meaning, the significance of anointing applied to Jesus Christ and that He's been appointed, set apart for His office. And now, to be clear, the appointing part, well, that happened in eternity. For it's not the case that Jesus was first appointed in time. It was not at His baptism, nor even at His birth, that He was appointed unto His office because the reality is that from all eternity, God in His decree, God in His counsel had said, this is going to be the One. My Son is going to be the Mediator. And it's in light of that that we understand that even in the Old Testament, before Jesus Christ is ever born, Christ is at work already as prophet, priest, and king. He's not doing the work directly Himself, but through those Old Testament types and shadows. Christ is the One working through those men for the good of His church. And He had the right to do so. He was authorized to do so because in eternity He had been appointed. But why then the, the anointing, the baptism that we just described. Well, that's where we see the equipping of Jesus Christ. Not with respect to His divine person and nature, because with respect to His divine person and nature, He needs no equipping. He's God Almighty. But He does need it with respect to His human nature. Because His human nature was weak. His human nature was frail and therefore He needed to be given the strength, the gifts to fulfill His office, to carry out the work of His office. And for that reason, He's anointed with the Spirit. He's given the Spirit without measure. He's endowed with those excellent gifts that would enable Him to carry out His work. So Jesus Christ is the Anointed One. And He was anointed with a view to carrying out His work. And that work includes the work of a high priest, even as we see that work being done by Aaron. So having considered His anointing, first Aaron's and then Christ, now we look at His work, first the work of Aaron, and how that points us to the work of Jesus Christ. 
With regard to Aaron, when we study what Scripture teaches us about the high priest, we see that the the overarching idea of the high priest's work is that he was to consecrate the people unto God. He was to bring the people to God, to lead them unto God as a representative. And we say that for good reason. That's evident, for example, from the key verse in all of Scripture that describes for us the the idea, the work of a high priest, namely Hebrews 5, verse 1. Hebrews 5, verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This verse teaches us several important truths about a high priest on which includes the fact that the high priest has to be taken from among the people. It says, every high priest taken from among men. That is, he must share in their human nature in order to represent them. Having been taken from men, he is then fit to represent the people unto God. And that's really the idea of a high priest. When we come to prophet, we see that the prophet is really a representative of God toward the people, but with the high priest, it's the other way around in that the, the high priest is representing the people unto God. And that's the language of Hebrews 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from, a men, from among men is ordained for men, that is, to represent men, in things pertaining to God. So it's the high priest who's the representative leading the people into God's presence, consecrating the people. And one of the main ways he does that, according to the rest of the verse, is by his gifts and sacrifices. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. But right now, we're establishing the point that the overarching idea of a high priest is that he consecrates, devotes, dedicates the people unto God. It's also evident from those garments that he wore. We read from Leviticus 8 and we saw at the beginning that Aaron puts on his high priestly garments. And one of those garments includes the fact that he had two stones upon his shoulders, onyx stones, that had the names of the twelve tribes engraved onto them. Six on one stone, six on the other. And now think about what that means for Aaron as he goes about his work. That means, for example, when he goes into the holy place as high priest, he is carrying all of God's people, the entire church, on his shoulders and bringing the people as a whole into God's presence. He's consecrating them unto God. That also comes out from his headgear. Leviticus 8, verse 7 speaks of that. Verse 9, rather. Leviticus 8, verse 9. And he put the mitre upon his head, and upon the mitre, even upon his forefront, did he put the golden plate, the holy crown. So there was a headpiece, a, a mitre, and there was a, a golden plate on the front. And that golden plate is significant because it said on it, 
holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. And the idea of holiness to the Lord is that you have been set apart, separated unto God. And that points us to the work of the high priest. Because when he puts this mitre upon his head, he's not just going about his work as an individual, but as the head of the people, the representative of the people. He's doing this on their behalf, bringing them into God's presence. So the overarching idea of the work of the high priest is he is going to consecrate the people unto God. And he does that in two main ways. There's two main works that he performs. The first is by his work of sacrifice. The second by his work of intercession. First, we see in the Old Testament the high priest making sacrifices. So it stands out in the book of Leviticus. That's the first thing Aaron does as high priest. In Leviticus 8, he's ordained into office and that very same day as a part of this one ceremony, Aaron then makes offerings, sacrifices for the people. For example, in Leviticus 9, verse 3 we read, And unto the children of Israel thou shalt say, thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and a calf for a lamb, and a lamb both of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering. Also a, a bullock and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord. So there's going to be three different sacrifices as a part of this ordination ceremony. The details of them are prescribed earlier in the book, but what's important for our sake is not the details about each one of them, at least not in this point in the sermon, but the fact that Aaron is doing this as a part of his work to consecrate the people unto God. For if we are going to be brought into God's presence to live with Him, to fellowship with Him, something needs to happen first because we're sinners. That too is something the book of Leviticus teaches us. It teaches us that we are spiritually unclean on account of our sins. That we are dirty before the eyes of our God from a spiritual point of view. And thus, rather than deserving to live in God's presence, to fellowship with Him, what we deserve on account of our sin is to be banished from God's presence. We deserve to be made spiritual exiles. And thus, for us as a people to come and to live with God, to fellowship with God, there has to be the payment of sin. There has to be a righteousness given to us. And that's where the, the sacrifices point us. They point us to the saving work of Jesus Christ as the basis whereby we may be received again into God's favor so that for the high priest to offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people is a part of His overarching work of leading the people to God. Consecrating them unto God. He does that by His sacrifices, but also by His intercession. He prays on behalf of the people. It's implied in the passage we read. For example, in chapter 9, verse 23. 
And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. If we ask, what are they doing in the tabernacle? The answer that the rest of Scripture gives us is they were praying in there. Praying on behalf of the people. This is a part of the work of the high priest. This is what we saw when we looked at the great day of atonement. It's the high priest who puts his hands upon the head of that scapegoat and prays on behalf of the people. He's making intercession for them as he confesses their sins. And again, this is a part of the work of consecrating the people unto God. Because when he's praying on their behalf, he's he's taking their names, he's taking their needs, and bringing that to God. He's setting the people before the face of God as a representative of the people taken from among the people. That's the work of the high priest. And again in this, Aaron points us clearly to our Savior. For as the Anointed One, Jesus Christ is the One who consecrates us unto God. He does that as our High Priest. That Jesus Christ is our High Priest is clear from the whole of Scripture, especially from the book of Hebrews, for example. The book of Hebrews refers to Christ as priest six times and to Him as High Priest twelve times. And it's so clear, we're not even going to take the time to prove from Scripture that He is in fact our High Priest. What is noteworthy is that as Hebrews 5 verse 1 teaches us, a high priest must be taken from among men. So it was for Jesus Christ. And that He became a man. He was made like unto His brethren. He assumed our flesh and blood. And because He has the same nature as us, He is therefore able to represent us as a people unto God. And what's more, He's qualified to represent God's people unto Jehovah because He's not only taken from among men, but He Himself is perfectly consecrated unto God. Remember for Aaron, there had to be that ram of consecration. The fact that there was blood applied to his ear, to his thumb, and to his toe. Well, that points us to the perfect consecration of Jesus Christ. Not because blood was applied to His ear, His thumb, and His toe, but because from all eternity and all throughout His life, He was living for God. He was devoted unto God. And thus, as the One who was taken from among men, who Himself is perfectly consecrated to God, as our High Priest, He now consecrates us unto God. He, he takes sinners who deserve to be banished from God's presence and He, he brings us, he, he leads us into God's presence and makes it so that we can now live with our God. And he does that by the same two works. By His sacrifice and by His intercession. And that's what the catechism teaches us. Lord's Day 31, why is He called Christ that is anointed? 
because he was ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be, and then it starts with the fact that he's our prophet and teacher, but then it adds, and to be our only high priest. And now notice the two elements here. Who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. The catechism is simply summarizing what we have seen in the sermon this morning. We asked the question, what's the work of the high priest? And we saw there's two main things that he does. He makes sacrifices and he intercedes on our behalf. And now the catechism summarizes that and applies it to Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes the once for all sacrifice for our sin. He did that at the cross of Calvary. What makes His sacrifice unique is that He gave Himself. Himself. In the Old Testament, the one bringing the sacrifice and the sacrifice itself are two separate things. You have the high priest and you have the animal. When we come to the reality, those two things are one and the same. Jesus Christ is at the same time both high priest and the sacrifice. And that's really the way it's supposed to be. The Old Testament, that's the the dim, shadowy revelation. The reality is that high priest and sacrifice are are the same thing because the reality is that if we're going to be received back into God's favor, we must give ourselves unto God. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He he gave Himself. He gave His own life unto God as the, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And in that one sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross, in that sacrifice, we have the fulfillment of all the different sacrifices that we read in the Old Testament. The sacrifices that are mentioned here in Leviticus chapter 9 when Aaron starts functioning on behalf of the people. There are three main offerings being described in Leviticus 9. A sin offering, a burnt offering, and a peace offering. And all three of them point to Jesus Christ. He is our sin offering. For the idea of a sin offering is there's an atonement for sin being made. There's a payment for sin. Blood is shed. A life is given. And that animal is placed upon the altar and consumed with fire. And Christ fulfilled that. Because His blood was shed. And He gave His life. And He endured the fiery wrath of God as He hung there upon the cross of Calvary. All that is to say the the sin offering points us to what we call in Reformed theology the passive obedience of Jesus Christ. The passive obedience does not mean He was passive as He went about this, but that He was the object of God's wrath. That God was punishing Jesus Christ for our sins. That's His passive obedience. And it's on the basis of that 
that God is able to say to us who are sinners, I forgive you. Sinner, I do not hold that trespass against you. Whatever the sin may be, whatever it was that was weighing upon you as you came to church this morning, God says to us on the basis of our sin offering Jesus Christ, I forgive you. But now Jesus Christ is not only our sin offering, He's our burnt offering. That's the second sacrifice here. And that burnt offering was unique in that it was a picture of being devoted unto God, consecrated unto God, because unlike the other sacrifices where a part of the animal might go to the priest or a part might go to the person bringing of it, bringing the offering, the whole burnt offering was unique in that the entire animal was placed upon the altar and it's, it's all burned there as a picture of devotion unto God. And Christ is our burnt offering because He lived a life of perfect devotion unto God. He, he gave Himself the whole of His life so that the, the burnt offering points us to what we call in Reformed theology His active obedience. There's His passive obedience. The the bearing, the punishment we deserve, but then there's the active obedience, the, the fulfilling of the law, the keeping of all of God's commandments throughout the entirety of His life. And it's on the basis of that, His, His active obedience, that God is able to say to us, you're not only not guilty, but you are righteous. Not with the righteousness of your own, but with the spotless righteousness of another, the the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when God looks upon us, He sees us as having no sin and having kept the whole of His law. And now because Christ is both our sin offering and our burnt offering, He is therefore also our peace offering. That's the third offering that's mentioned here. And it's third because it's really the fruit of the first two. We've been referring to these throughout. Let's remind ourselves of the verse. Leviticus 9, verses 3 and 4. Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, for a burnt offering, also a bullock and a ram, for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord. So explain the sin offering, then the burnt offering, and now the peace offering. And what makes the peace offering unique is that it points to the peace we have with God, the fellowship that we can enjoy with Him. Because with this sacrifice, a portion of the animal is given back to the person who brought it And he eats that portion. He he enjoys a meal with God. A covenantal meal pointing to the fellowship that we now have with our God. And is not Christ then also our peace offering? For on the basis of His 
passive obedience and His active obedience, the fruit of that is that we now have peace with God. We've been reconciled unto Him. We can now live with this God. And not just live with Him, but fellowship with Him. He, he speaks to us and we, we speak back to Him. We dine with Him. That's the saving work of Jesus Christ. And in all of this, He has consecrated us unto the Father so that we who deserved to be exiled can now stand in His presence and live with Him. That's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But His work as high priest is not just that He made a sacrifice, but His work continues because He now also makes intercession on our behalf. It's a teaching of Hebrews 7, verse 25, for example. Wherefore, He is able to save them to the uttermost that cometh unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. It's the teaching of Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ intercedes for us. He, he prays on our behalf. And He does this as a part of that work of consecrating us unto God. For Christ Himself has ascended into heaven. So that He's there standing in the presence of God and He's there as our advocate. He's, he's pleading our case. He takes our names and our needs and He, he brings them to the Father. And He does that on the basis of His own sacrifice. On His perfect work. It's really the heart of His intercession by His presence in heaven. He is presenting His satisfaction to God so that the Father could never forget it. Now to be true, God could not forget it even if Jesus Christ was not standing there, but the fact that Jesus Christ is standing there as the Lamb that was slain, as the, the spotless One, is the guarantee that as God looks upon us, He only ever looks upon us through the lens of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And what a comfort that is. What a comfort when we sin and when on account of that sin we feel guilty again. We, we recognize we've made ourselves spiritually dirty all over again. The comfort of this passage is that even then as God looks upon us, it's with the Lamb that was slain standing there. So that even when we sin, we do not forfeit the state of our justification. But God continues to view us as His blood-bought people. And that means when we do cry out, confessing our sins, seeking forgiveness, God is ready. He's eager. He's willing to say to us, I forgive you, my child. That's comforting. 
It's comforting when we go through trials. When there's difficulties in our lives. When there's pain that comes upon us. Because we're tempted to doubt God's love towards us. We're tempted to wonder, has has He forsaken me? Has He forgotten to be kind? Is Is He ignoring me right now? And the answer is no. Because our high priest is standing in His very presence. Making intercession for us. Presenting His perfect sacrifice for our sins so that the Father's heart towards us is ever a heart of love. And that means everything that He sends upon us. It's all sent in love and in wisdom for our good. Because we have a faithful high priest who not only made the once and for all sacrifice for our sins, but also now in heaven ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. What a joy. What a privilege to have such an high priest as Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thanks be unto Thy name for appointing in all eternity our Savior, Jesus Christ, to be our High Priest. And for equipping Him in time by giving Him the Spirit without measure so that He was given the strength to make the once and for all sacrifice by His atoning death at Calvary. And we thank Thee that His work of High Priest, though the sacrifice is done, nevertheless continues that we have an Advocate at Thy right hand making intercession for us. Comfort our hearts with this truth. And hear our prayer for His sake. Amen.